0: Maybe we're sweeping a portion of excess cash flow uh, of the property. You know, the, the income less your debt service, there's, you know, maybe we're taking a piece of that, putting it into a reserve fund that's building up that is, you know, preparing yeah. for an event like that, right? Building up some money in the case that you need to, to re-tenant it. So it's, it's really case by case.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the CRE Project Podcast.
2: Hello, CRE Project Podcast listeners. Thanks for taking some time to spend with Clayton and me today. We are thrilled to have Jordan Harrington on the show. Jordan is the Vice President and Relationship Manager for Commercial Lending for the Bank of Albuquerque, who is a subsidiary of Bank of Oklahoma. They have uh, the capacity to do upwards of $40 billion in transactions, and Jordan specializes in ground-up construction, acquisition, rehab term financing for retail, office, industrial and helps developers and investors looking to build, acquire or refinance income producing properties. Jordan is based here in Albuquerque and was has been with the Bank of Albuquerque since 2005. He has his undergraduate degree in finance from the Anderson School of Management at UNM and Jordan has been in town here for 25 years, has strong roots, is a father and been happily married for 10 years, has two boys. And outside of work, Jordan enjoys spending time with his family, cycling, golfing, and snowboarding. I hope that you guys enjoy the show as much as we did, and thanks again for being here.
1: Jordan? Thanks so much for joining us today on the CRE Project podcast. Absolutely, Uh, awesome uh, opportunity to sit down with you, and uh, excited to to learn a lot today about commercial lending. So uh, we've given our listeners some background on who you are and what you've accomplished uh, in your career thus far, but we we definitely like to hear that from you. So to start off the show, if you don't mind, give us a little bit of history on. Who you are and what kind of attracted you to commercial lending and uh, where you kind of see yourself going possibly and just kind of you know background who you are yeah sure uh, well I've been in uh, Albuquerque uh,
0: since 95 moved here with my family uh, many years ago when I was in middle school a uh, local guy went to high school here went to University of New Mexico got a business degree at Lobo. I was a Lobo, yes, sir. (laughs) Love it. And, uh, you know, I think in in college I was always interested in business and and finance, not so much the accounting side. I was kind of, I think, pushed towards banking because I figured it was more of the creative side of finance, right, like kind of working through problems as opposed to reading financial statements and putting them back. More of an analyst approach. approach. Right, yeah. Um, So I had a good opportunity, our bank recruited um, from UNM, so I I got uh, recruited to to join a training program with the bank. So moved to Tulsa for six months right out of uh, college, went through a kind of crash course on banking. I actually went through a retail training program, so when I moved back to Albuquerque, I was a branch manager, ran a branch for the bank uh, for about a year. Uh, but still really wanted to get onto the commercial side of yeah. the bank. Uh, opportunity opened up to be become a credit analyst in our c and group, uh, so made that switch in 2006 and have kind of been here in the commercial bank ever since. Do you have a family
1: history in finance,
0: or no, are you just kind of the no, pioneer? No, my dad's an engineer. I sometimes think I have kind of an engineering, pretty analytical <laughs> mind. Yeah. Uh, not sure I, I was cut out for the the college workload that it takes to kind of be an engineer, yeah. but
1: so, so here I am. Yeah. And what attracted you down. to commercial specific cause you seemed really drawn to that. So what, what, what drew you so strongly towards commercial lending?
0: Uh, I think it was more just the sophisticated borrowers, kind of the more complicated transactions, the yeah. bigger deals, same you with know. brokerage. Yeah. Same exact thing. I mean the retail side of the bank is definitely a really important part. Of the bank and sure. see a lot of clients. That was one thing I missed initially when I switched over to the commercial bank. Was was a branch manager. You're in front of clients every day, helping yeah. people, uh, and then you kind of transition to stick, sit, sitting behind a computer and working yeah, on Excel yeah. spreadsheets and not seeing any clients. Uh, I mean, luckily, our bank and the bankers that I worked with early in my career were really good about. Getting you out to meet the clients as mm-hmm. well, and getting you pretty involved in communicating, yeah. and requesting financial
1: statements, and uh, still a relationship business. Exactly, exactly. Um, tell us, tell us a little bit about the bank you work for. I mean, what, what, you know, what drew you to, to working work in for the Bank of Albuquerque, which is owned by the Bank of Oklahoma. Bank of Oklahoma, yeah, BOK
0: Financial. So we're uh, we're about a forty billion dollar bank, headquartered in Tulsa. So a full service financial services company. Um, you know, they we kind of brand each of our banks, you know, we're in a eight-state southwest footprint for the most part. Each of the banks in each of those states are kind of branded locally. It's kind of our motto. We, we try to uh, think, uh, think local, act local, be more like a community bank when it comes to customer service levels, sure. dealing with our customers, but at the same time we've got the backing of a $40 billion bank so we can provide pretty robust products and services and capabilities on par with kind of the big national banks out there. Very cool. so I think that was that was my draw. I mean it happened to be uh, I think luckily who who I met, you know, when I went to that career fair at UNM back in the day. This is the o- this is the only bank I've ever worked for since yeah. I graduated. I've well, been for 15 be years. Right. Yeah. So but really enjoy it. We have great local leaders, I've uh, been lucky to have good managers yeah. who've
1: mentored me and kind of helped me along in my career. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, well, congrats Thanks. on your career thus far, and, and obviously having a good, solid foundation under you. Um, to to kind uh, off of co-tell off of your last statement there, tell us a little bit um, why uh, it's beneficial, because again, a lot of our listeners, you know, they're very sophisticated and have knowledge of the different type of lending platforms that exist out in the market. What's the benefit to using a more Traditional uh, banking style when you're when you're pursuing a commercial asset, um, and then explain to us how, how important it is, is it to really have a local lender in your market underwrite that asset. Um,
0: you know, I think when it comes to you know commercial real estate or even you know commercial banking, you know my previous role when we were banking operating companies, it's I just think it's important to kind of have somebody in the market who knows, you know, the either the asset that you're looking at or knows the company that you're you're dealing with, right? Has some of that local knowledge on their history, um,
1: has some relationships that you can trust right. as well, which is huge.
0: Right. And you know, in our in our world kind of going back to that local customer service, having somebody that you can call mm-hmm. you know, I would say most of the people that we do business with are here, you know, but from time to time, especially now that I've gotten to the commercial real estate world, there's a lot of outside, you know, outside of the state money and investors looking here now. Uh, I think it's even more important in that situation to find somebody local, you know, because those people aren't here, they're, they're not seeing, seeing it kind of every day, they might not, not, might might not know a backstory on a, on a specific, specific property area of town, asset class. background on a company, you know what I mean?
1: So Well, and I just think that's so valuable as a broker um, and as a real estate investor in general because, you know, uh, a lot of times you and, you know, the investor are equally yoked. I mean, you you guys both have skin in the game and it's important that your partner, in a sense, being the bank, you know, is uh, knowledgeable about the asset that they're lending on. Right. Um, right. And I think the other value too, just again speaking, not to not to take words out of your mouth, but uh, you know, to using a local bank is the fact that you have relationships with appraisers, you have relationships with several different vendors that it takes to get the deal done. Versus out of state banks, so we've been involved in several transactions where they don't know who to call, and if they call them, they don't always get a call back because they just don't have that relationship there. And to your point about you know trade areas again us being retail guys there's a lot of stuff happening underneath the surface right when it comes to an area right so i think it's important again that you know a local resource that lends on a specific asset has that knowledge base where if you're you know in new york california you're doing a deal in new mexico or kentucky you don't have that knowledge yep so Agreed. just 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 kind of an interesting perspective but I I think it's a a very important uh, aspect for an investor to look at when buying a commercial property well great man Um, so aside from uh, obviously the traditional let's let's dive in and on some of the more surface level stuff I mean when someone walks through your door um, or gives you a call and says hey I'm looking at this specific deal what are kind of the the key metrics that you really look for uh, when it comes to not necessarily the asset I'd like to do that differently but also the borrower what do you look for uh in each of those
0: um i mean in our world i think we're used to working with sophisticated borrowers we're not doing a lot of first-time developers or first-time investors right i mean i think experience sure um is definitely something we look at and i think that kind of goes back to who our client base is and some of the loans Types of stuff that we pursue. Yeah, I mean, we do we do a lot of development. We do a lot of construction loans. We do a lot of value add loans, um, and we're 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 doing it with people who know what they're doing, right? And a lot of our business is repeat business, right? We've been pretty lucky to build some meaningful relationships with a lot of the more active kind of developers, you know, in our footprint. So we're typically looking at uh, a new deal with someone we've done a deal with in the past that we saw. Work out right Mm -hmm. and 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 be successful, and maybe we got paid off, and uh, they're they're ready to do a new deal. So experience is one. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, having the the capacity, you know, financial capacity, not only their equity in the deal, but they probably have some outside sources of uh, other recurring cash flow. They're not counting on this one project. Is they're you know putting the food on the table. You want to see kind of a diversity of in- income sources, uh, some decent liquidity outside of what they're putting into the deal, and um, can you
1: can you speak to that a little deeper, a little further? I mean, what what? I mean, is there a ratio that you guys use, or what? I mean, I'm sure it's case by case, person it, it by is. person, but is there just kind of a rule of thumb that you look for?
0: No, no, and I think that really kind of depends on the transaction, right? I mean, you have some where someone's buying a. Pretty stable single-tenant building. They're putting down a good piece of equity, right? There's not a whole lot of things that could kind of go wrong that are going to uh, disrupt the income stream. Sure. Um, you know, you don't need to you don't need to see just a ton of outside, you know, liquidity on the sideline to kind of solve a problem. But yeah. let's say you've got, uh, you know, you got somebody who's buying uh, maybe a small retail property or even a even a single-tenant type property where Maybe there's a lot of lease roll, right, during the term of the loan, or maybe if it's a single tenant, for example, you have a lease that's maturing, bef- you know, before the term of your loan or or matches. We typically would try to match in that situation, match the term of the loan with the term of the lease. Got it. Um, so there's hangout risk, right, at the end. Like if that tenant doesn't renew, or in the, in the case of a retail property, some of your tenants don't renew, there is costs associated with refilling Correct. those spaces, right? You right. might have. TI expenses that you need to go in and do some build out to attract a new tenant. Uh, you've got commissions that you're going to be paying the brokers. You need to make sure that that money is aside, right? You need to you need, Yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah. If you have, <laughs> uh you want a you want a principal or a, a guarantor, right? To have that on the side or sure. else or else structure around it, yeah. right? Like maybe we're maybe we're sweeping a portion of excess cash flow of the property you know the the income less your debt service there's you know maybe we're taking a piece of that putting it into a reserve fund that's building up that is you know preparing for an event like that right building up some money in the case that you need to to re-tenant it so it's it's really case by case obviously on the development side the construction side there's there's more need for that right there's more need for things to go wrong as opposed to somebody buying a Pretty stabilized apartment complex or something like that that hopefully is pretty stable.
2: And is there a particular asset class that you feel that you specialize in, or are you uh, are you willing and open to analyze any particular deal as long as the numbers work? What to-
0: we we do pretty much everything except hospitality. Hospitality okay. is uh, just something I think historically the bank's never done. You know, although I think we know a handful of pretty. Pretty solid people that I think we'd be just fine doing those types of loans. It's more of a bank, um, yeah. a, you know, bank decision. Yeah, uh, but we'll do uh, multifamily, retail, uh, industrial. Um, yeah, we kind of we
1: kind of look at everything. Gotcha. And I, I guess in the I mean I think it goes without saying though if you have the weaker net worth you look for the stronger asset. Correct. In the form of like a single tenant deal, someone comes to you. They have a really strong tenant, maybe not the strongest net worth. Um, you would still consider doing that deal, or do you guys solely base your decisions off of the borrower and the guarantor specifically?
0: No, I think like you said, it's it's kind of a case by case. You're yeah. you're, you're you have some strengths, you have some weaknesses. You're kind of balancing them all out yeah. and, and making sure that we're putting a you know a structure together uh, that you know mitigates mitigates the bank's risk on doing those loans and and, go
2: ahead and you've said that you know that you're working with developers and and uh deal sponsors who are seasoned have a track record they're established you feel comfortable with them have you looked at working with or would you consider working with newer developers who have been brokers for example who are syndicating deals, and they're raising capital, they're pooling capital, and um, they're doing that the appropriate ways with the SEC guidelines in mind, would you look at working with somebody who is sophisticated, but somewhat new, and has a good opportunity in hand, either and and they've got to sponsor either through the form of a high net worth individual, or some other uh, investors who who they have structured an opportunity with? They've packaged the deal. They've got it all teed up, and they need to come to you for the debt on the deal. Is that something that you would look at doing?
0: Yeah, I mean we're, we we look at everything. You know, yeah. in our market, we're not a huge, huge market, so we don't we don't just turn things away. I mean, yeah. we kind of analyze every deal, but um, you know, to your point on it, if it's a if it's a development deal, you know, or a new construction deal, uh, having a strong guarantor as a backstop is really really important part of it right absolutely Um, i mean we're certainly underwriting you know the deal itself and how much equity is coming into it and who the tenant is right those are all going to be very important parts and probably the strengths right of the deal if if that's what you're saying but um you know we still you know we still count on having guarantors right oh yeah anytime you have a construction loan a value add
1: we have a, we have a guarantor pretty much on every every one of those transactions. So those are
2: all recourse loans.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So is there any instance that you guys do non recourse, and if so, what do you what do you look for? Yeah, then? because I, it has to be pretty sexy. Yeah, I mean, I would say nine out of ten of the things that nine
0: out of ten of the deals that we do have recourse. You know, yeah. Maybe even more. So. And what uh,
1: I mean, I, obviously, I see the uh, the financial side of it, but do you guys? Um, judge it from a character perspective as well, because again, from the brokerage community standpoint, obviously there's that financial backing. A lot of times the, the guarantors don't have a lot of financial backing, period. So a lot of times the landlords are saying, look, I want them to, to step up, you know, yeah. and if they're willing to sign a personal guarantee, then I know they're right. committed, they got right. some, some skin in the game. Right, like you if know? you don't
0: if you don't believe in it, right, yeah. if, then then why should we believe in it, yeah. right, if you're not willing to kind of put your name behind it. That goes into it a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, kind of going back to maybe our our mix of of the types of loans that we do, you know, maybe 50, 60% or more in some cases year by year of what we do is probably a construction uh, slash value add type financing as opposed to, you know, just a funded term loan to acquire a stabilized asset, right? Um, So to your question about maybe when non-recourse comes into play or is an option mm-hmm. is more on that latter situation, right? Where, um, and it's kind of a loan-to-value. It's a loan-to-value and debt coverage mm-hmm. kind of number, right? Uh, we're typically not even considering non-recourse unless you know, we're at a 60% or less kind of 60, uh, yeah. Can you, can you explain value?
1: really quick, before we get lost, but maybe for some of the listeners that you know are not familiar with LTV, debt ratio can you explain that how do you guys right you know, so understand? I mean more like kind of a loan-to-value
0: loan-to-cost ratio right what's the percentage you know if you're buying something uh, let's say for a million dollars and we lend you 600 and you're putting in 400 that's a 60 percent loan to cost right, right. Uh, And in our in our situation or I guess the environment that we're in loan to cost and loan to value are usually coming in you know pretty close right yeah. so you go appraise something uh, the amount of our loan compared to that appraised value is the loan-to-value. Right. So, uh, the lower that number is, obviously, the less risk to the bank in the event of a, you know, a loss in value, right, or a default. Our ability to kind of go and collect our full loan principal, if something happened and we had to. You know, foreclose and take the property back and, and get get our principal back, right? Yeah. That we've lent on it.
1: No one likes talking about that stuff. right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: is there is there a
2: sweet spot as far as loan size that you guys like to target or stay within?
0: Uh, yeah, I think for us, we typically are looking a million and above. I mean, I would say, uh, I would say our average is probably
1: higher than that. But um, yeah, and what and why is that? I'm just curious. Why is there a limit on loans? Are you I, uh, just explain that to me? I think it's absolutely a case
0: by case uh, yeah. by the by bank, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we're a fairly small group here. I mean, we have five people in our department: yeah. two, two lenders and a credit analyst. So and, you don't and have the, the human capital. Yeah, to I mean, if we were to go and just loan. yeah, and, we, and and we've been lucky enough, like I said, to develop relationships with with uh, some of the people around here that are doing the larger deals yeah. and. Um, it's just it takes pretty much just the same amount of time to do a big deal as a small deal and, now we, and we, broker, we, man. we have to <laughs> kind of we have to kind of pick and choose right yeah. we have to kind of pick and choose yeah. what we can do and you yeah. get, you get real you get real busy with some of the bigger loans and you sometimes
1: you just, you yeah. just don't have I just didn't know, know if that had to do with right. the amount of capital that the bank had or if that was you know just the way that you guys operate business which yeah. is the same way that we operate business as brokers yeah. right so interesting Yeah, I
0: mean, there's plenty of other uh, lenders in town that probably specialize on the smaller and that's what their appetite is. It just, um, and maybe capital does come into play. Typically, those might be the smaller, uh, more truly kind of local community type banks where we're, we are big enough where we can, uh, I mean, we can do 30, 40, 50 million dollar loans uh, in this group all the way down to, you know, a million bucks. Yeah that's pretty wide ranging and and let's
2: shifting gears just a little bit here you know i've seen in the past banks that say we have enough retail loans out there right now we're looking for multifamily or industrial or medical you know owner user right. for example how are you guys looking Do you, are, if you continue to see good deals in a particular arena will you pursue those or is there a bench is there a, a cap on what you feel is, is, is your exposure level yeah
0: so yeah, there's absolutely kind of buckets, yeah. right? Uh, it's it's not really so much a local decision for us since we're part of this bigger bank. I mean, our bank has a six billion dollar uh, commercial real estate loan portfolio, and they are tracking it daily, monthly about you know what percentage of that total amount of loans is in is in industrial, how much is in multifamily, how much is in retail, how much is in construction, right? How much is in construction multifamily? So they're. They're definitely managing all that, and, right? Uh, yeah, and certain times, certain industries heat up, and that's where a ton of the activity and a ton of the lending is happening. And yeah, you can actually absolutely start bumping up against internal comfort levels, right? And uh, we might kind of get a get a call and says, you know, we we're pretty full on, you know, new apartment construction. So, you know, unless it's a another deal with an existing customer, we're not really looking at new deals with someone we've never met before at this time, you know, that certainly happens, but usually, uh, it works itself out pretty, pretty quick. Um, just because, you know, you might take a construction loan, stabilize it. And now that borrower is taking it to a, a new, a different, long-term right. lending source, right. and all of a sudden that bucket clears up. So, so, so what happens? It ebbs and flows.
2: And with that understanding, are, what are you seeing in the industry, in the market right now? Any trends necessarily? I mean, I think new construction multifamily is probably applicable. Yep. I mean, there's For a sure. lot of product out there. sure. I mean, sure. maybe it's, it seems near top of market to me.
0: Um, Industrial is certainly... Getting up there, not so much locally. I mean, I'm sure you guys know in Albuquerque, we don't have a lot of industrial. But in our bank's footprint, you know, we're we're we have a lot of stuff in Texas. We have a lot of stuff in Arizona. You have a lot of stuff in Colorado. Those are all just really fast-growing industrial uh, markets. So you might be seeing a little a little bit of it there. Multifamily for sure. I mean, we've been on an absolute tear for 10 or 15 years on new apartment construction. Um, You know, luckily. Here, I think it's it's pretty um, manageable, right? Yeah. And and uh, and we're getting out of those deals pretty quick. Like we might be doing a construction loan; they're stabilizing quickly. Maybe just the nature of our borrower, they have they go and take it. Maybe they either sell it or they take it to a long-term lender. So that opens up. Um, I think we ran into it with retail a couple years ago. It was the whole Amazon effect. Everyone was really uncertain about. What was, happen, you know, what was gonna happen and, and that was that was absolutely a, a point in time where uh, the bank was thinking hard on yeah on retail and uh, digging in further when we're underwriting those deals like what's the percentage of of the the tenants in here that are goods right that could be uh, undercut by Amazon or an online retail versus services right I think you know 15 years ago you know, it was like the nail salons and the haircut yeah, know, places. Right. No one, those were almost the tenants that you didn't want. And now those are some of the most stable uh, tenants, the service-based type tenants that you can have in there. So I think everyone's a little bit more comfortable with that now. And uh, obviously retail somewhat has reinvented itself. Yeah, and, finding its footing. Yeah. For sure. Um, so, so, yeah.
2: The landscape's changing. Absolutely. And everyone's trying to, uh, to figure that out. And... As Clayton knows, and as we talk about all the time, it's just so much experiential shopping. It's the it's the environment, and how long can you keep them on site? And what else more is there to do other than just clothes? Yeah. What do you guys I still don't want to buy clothes online? So. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I, <laughs> I've know, seen that it. Don't, I know. I, know. <laughs> I don't either. So.
1: What do you so uh, to that point as as the bank? What do you guys consider like a stable asset? Is it- the category of tenants that are in... Let's just pick a, a retail as, yeah. a, as, a, as yeah. a category. I mean, is it the categories of retailers that are in there? Is it the quality of financials backing the retailers? Is it just the guarantor that you guys solely base an asset or a deal? Uh, whether it's stable yeah. or not. What do you guys... kind? Of, and I know I'm, I'm sure it's probably all the above. Yeah, but when I know. think of stabilized, it's more
0: of kind of a percent occupied and does the income coming off of who's in the asset yeah. cover your loan right yeah. does it cover your loan payments plus a little bit extra like sure. your debt coverage ratio yeah. right uh, if we want to get into to debt coverage ratios yeah right? I think but an important metric.
1: you
0: know uh, if, if the NOI coming off your property divided by your debt service exceeds you know 120 125 which is kind of a, just a, a pretty good metric that you can use across a lot of asset classes. It's stabilized, right? And you yeah. guys, you guys
2: refer to that as 1.2 or 1.25. Yeah, 1.25. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah,
0: like I said, NOI divided by debt service is your—it's a debt coverage ratio. Yeah. So you're covering your debt payments by 125 percent. So you're able to pay your debts plus accumulate some, you know, reserves and. Uh, maybe make some distributions to the to the to the owners, right? And that's like something the, you require as the lender, correct? The it's reserves a cover, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh and the reserves. I mean, yeah, it kind of goes back to that point earlier if you you want to make sure that they Your investor is, is leaving some funds in there and maintaining, sure. maintaining your asset, right? There's money set aside if you know a roof needs to be repaired There's a parking lot needs to be redone, right? A, a, a space needs to be re It's correct. very important that they're not Pulling everything out, right, and you have nothing, nothing kind of left. It's not being maintained. It's it's our collateral, and we want to make sure that it's it's taken care of. Yeah,
2: I've I've got a question for you, kind of out of left field, but let's say hypothetically, I brought you a thirty thousand square foot junior anchor space with a ten year corporate guaranteed deal that we that we controlled but we needed to perform on the execution and the tenant improvements.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What type of financing product could you use to help me get the best leverage possible for that? Or even a single, or a double tenant, triple net, 10 year corporate guaranteed deal that I needed to finance? What type of ratios and numbers are, you, are we looking at?
0: Yeah, so, um... Kind of sounds like credit, credit tenant type yeah, question, credit right? Yeah, credit deals. So yeah, we look at, uh, you kind of would underwrite those a little different. We're talking about these coverage ratios. We're talking about loan-to-values, right? I think the, the 75% loan-to-value numbers that we talked about earlier is just kind of an average over you know, all different types of tenant, right? Right. So when you're talking credit tenants, right, where yeah. you're talking investment grade type tenants, or you're talking GSA like government guaranteed mm-hmm. leases or I mean obviously the risks or publicly traded companies. Yeah, stuff I mean like obviously that. the risks of, of that tenant defaulting or something changing goes goes way down, right? So right. the bank's appetite for leverage could go up a little bit might we might look at, you know, 80, 85 percent, ninety percent in some cases on okay. like a GSA deal from a loan to cost perspective. Okay. Um, you know, yeah, because and, and there's
2: a lot, there's a lot of that going around, you know, going on out there too, and and even more and more in the tertiary markets because even as investors continue to look for yield, retailers look for market share, and uh, you know they're working hand in hand, right, on, on those
0: endeavors. Right. I mean, you have a signed lease in place with a tenant like that, then it it, it obviously mitigates a, a lot of the risk, and you can you can in uh, a perfect world, it. right.
1: Yeah, you can push the leverage up Definitely. a little bit. Huh? Interesting. What are the top uh, loan structures that you typically do, and maybe give our listeners some color on the different type of loan structures?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, construction, like a construction loan, ground up. You're typically doing a, you know, a two or a three year, maybe interest only period, right? And that's the period where they're drawing up on the loan, paying for the construction. Um, getting it stabilized, right? Where you actually have your tenants moving in there, start paying rent, uh, and then maybe provide a couple uh, mini perm type options on the back end. So, you know, two years interest only with the op- with an option for a third and fourth year maybe where you're amortizing at that point, right? You, you have the tenants in, the income's coming in, you have your coverage ratios, yeah. and at that point you're gonna start making your P&I payments, right? Um, mm-hmm. Until you figure out what you're gonna do with it, right? Like maybe they're gonna sell it or they're gonna take it long term yeah. and they can go find a, a different lending source, right? Or even or we'll even do it, right? But yeah. we're typically keeping those construction loan commitments pretty short. Yeah. Right. Like three to
1: three to four years. And how is that money dispersed typically?
0: Uh, so we have a loan administrator here, right? So mm-hmm. you uh kind of structure them as a non-revolving type line of credit. You're collecting a budget from the developer up front. Um, Says this is how much it's going to cost, right? You have all your different expense categories. Uh, So typically you have a general contractor. Your general contractor will go through, start doing their work, submit you know monthly invoices to the developer, says, all right, we did this much this month. Here's a listing of everything we did. We need to collect funds. They will submit that request to the bank and yeah. we kind of look look over all the invoices make sure everything is is in there that we need and then we release the funds back to the developer they write their check to the contractor and they move on and to the next month so yeah we, we manage we definitely manage the construction pretty pretty closely a lot of times we'll hire uh, like a third party inspector who's Verifying the percentage of completion, hmm. so we get a draw request. Yeah, yep. we send them out there. Make sure they're verifying right? that the number, that the percentage of complete that the contractor says it is,
1: it you know, it matches up, and it's just kind of a a way that we. And again, that's check. that's the benefit to having a local lender, in my eyes, is you know the GCs, you know the qualified GCs. Right, right. So. I mean, there's a little bit of an extra cost
0: associated with that, but I think it's absolutely in the developer's best interest yeah. as well, right? right. Um,
1: that that it's on track yeah and i imagine you guys have been seeing quite a bit of that specific loan structure with cap rates being where they're at i'm sure a lot of people are taking just short-term construction loans building the asset and then obviously putting it out on the open market right 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 pre-sell it like yeah like you true um so that's so so that's a good so that loan structure is a good vehicle for that type of specific right right um do you you, want to talk about some of the others i mean or like uh yeah i mean well my my just just to finish that one off i'm just curious so do you guys underwrite um or underwrite i don't know if that's the right word or not but do you guys view um uh rehab deals the same way do you do you put that in the into the construction category is that just ground up
0: yeah so so those those ones are obviously all case by case right so there would be a lot of situations where you're acquiring something for a fixed price, right? But it has a lot of upside. Like maybe, uh, maybe there's a lot of vacancy, right? And it needs to just kind of have somebody that comes in there with some new vision and some funds to improve the property, up, right? spruce it up. You know, has some relationships, has some tenants that they have an idea to move in there. Yeah. Um, and it could be kind of a hybrid structure, right? So maybe there's a there's actually an amortizing loan out the gate on the acquisition piece. Like you're buying something for a couple million bucks. You know, we do our 75% loan to value, and that you know million seven or whatever is is amortizing right out right out the gate, and then we put like a construction loan, non revolving line of credit on as a second, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and that is a fund up type line that, that maybe has that interest only component for a couple of years, and that's the improvement loan, right? So, so we're getting we're getting some amortizing payments on the initial. Building what was there, the initial acquisition, and then you have this other bucket that is used for the improvements, right? Yeah. Like repainting it, and you know redoing all your build out, doing some exterior improvements, and, and they draw that up over you know a year or so, um, and then maybe that one has at some point in the future you combine them all once you have kind of a a, a complete new stabilized project. And how
1: long, typically?
0: Uh, I think in a situation like that, three—I mean, three years. I, I I mean, typically shorter. We, it's like a construction loan. We do a shorter-term uh, commitment um, on those types of deals because you want to see that it's working, right? Yeah. You want to see it kind of come together, and then once it once it's come together and it's working, then you then you bundle it all up into yeah. one new amortizing loan, right? Longer term. Maybe you're going seven, ten years in some cases. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, candidly, hearing you say that, I thought that was relatively lengthy—three to four years on a construction type of deal. You know? Yeah,
0: I, well, I mean, obviously, is, case by case. Yeah, like a, you absolutely. One hundred fifty thousand square foot office building with a ton of vacancy might take—it's going to take a <laughs> few years, right? <laughs> uh, versus a you know three or a four space yeah. retail property, maybe
1: a year's long. Correct, left, right? It's it's certainly. Case and by again, case. that's a good vehicle for somebody that. I mean, that's a great example. You're buying something with some occupancy. Uh, and some vacancy you obviously want to rehab it but it sounds like a construction loan could also be a good vehicle to give you that buffer to to get the property leased up as well right to where you're not paying the full principal well in a Um, lot yeah and a
0: lot of times it's like the vacancy or the situation of the building might not be able to support P&I payments out the gate right exactly you need need the interest only period for a while yeah and that kind of goes back to the, my guarantor yeah. question the, earlier is, is is you have you know on those deals that have some complexity to them you you obviously want somebody that knows what they're doing and has some outside capacity to step in if additional funds are needed
2: and that's the bucket that a developer fee would be pulling from
0: uh you're saying on like the the non-revolving piece yeah right
2: like is, is does that come out of the, the credit line construction
0: yeah I mean a lot of times you'll see developer fees uh as kind of deferred like equity, like in our view right right um will you do you allow those to be underwritten into your yeah loans? yeah we do we do I would say it's very common to see that uh as like an earnout at the tail end of the project right you're not financing that developer fee right right at the front end right It's like one pr- prove to yeah. us that this works once we have the coverage that we need uh, and with, with the developer fee finally drawn into the loan balance, it, does it work? So we're typically seeing you're not going to get the developer's not going to get the developer fee until the end. Yeah. Right.
1: And in a in a perfect world when it comes to a construction loan and then we can move on to some other ones. But again, what, you, what do you as the bank, if someone has... You know a project that they want to do whether it's ground up or or a rehab project what do you expect them to provide you so you can accurately assess the risk in the project in general what specific documents are you looking for from a guarantor and then also i'm sure you want to see a budget i'm sure you want to see all of that so what what documents do you expect and again i know a lot of your clients are sophisticated but for those that may be going into the business what should one expect to bring into a lender to look I mean, to look spe- competent, right? I mean, specific
0: <laughs> specific to the project, obviously, an exact plan of everything that they're planning to do, right? A full and critical a full, dates matrix, a full pro pro forma with timelines, right? It's like, okay, we're buying it here, here, you know. Usually, you'll see it, and it'll be a month by month kind of two or a three year pro forma, you know, where you know in this month, you know, month two, three, four, these are, these are the improvements we're planning to do months four, five, six, with these improvements, we now have these tenants moving in, or whatever the case may be, and you're, you have a very detailed plan on uh, how much it's gonna cost. They've already kind of con- gone out and probably gotten some bids from some contractors, if there's a bunch of improvements being made, sure. right? Um, you wanna make sure that it's uh, obviously zoned and everything oh, properly yeah. Yeah, for if there's,
1: if there's major changes in the product type um and to, uh, not to not to derail you from your thoughts or keep your thought but do you do you care about getting uh multiple bids or do you just leave that up to the lender uh to the borrower you oh, mean? i'm sorry yeah borrower. yeah
0: no no i don't it think we care okay. quite as much i'm just right? curious i mean we're getting an appraisal yeah right um and the appraisal you know kind of going back to that comment earlier about a pro forma on mm-hmm. like a on like a rehab loan or a value add type thing, right? You're going to get an appraisal that is an as complete as stabilized. So that appraiser is going to go and ask all those same questions that we are, yeah. right? If you're expecting to show the value down the road with a bunch of changes made to it, that's the appraiser's job as well. They're going to want to. They're going to want to see that timeline. Yeah. Uh, the appraiser is going to go do a cost approach, right? Where they're probably going and getting a few different quotes from different contractors. So when you get that, you might see yeah if someone has a budget that's completely out of out of line yeah. um so i guess and then you you're, you made a comment earlier about like a guarantor mm-hmm. i mean obviously when we're, you're analyzing a guarantor just like any other any other loan we're going to get a few years of tax returns we want to see a personal balance sheet right typically want to see uh liquidity verification statement someone's reporting a lot of liquidity you're asking to kind of see the statements, statements. to verify yeah, that sure. Um in our world we almost always ask for a commercial real estate schedule, right? Because just looking at someone's balance sheet, they could say, I own all these assets, maybe it's their net equity position, right? Their, their, what, what it was appraised for less their loan balance, but it doesn't tell us a whole lot about the health of it, right? We want to see what's the NOI, you know, maybe maybe want to see a rent roll for yeah. some of them, what's your debt service, when's that loan mature, you know, you, you take into a lot of that. Uh, into consideration you might want to see a contingent debt schedule right contingents means what other loans do they guarantee yeah uh, so what's their kind of potential new liabilities? exposure yeah I'm sure yeah. Wrong. Uh, so those are the types of things we collect on a on a guarantor interesting looking at a new deal so what uh, what other type of structures do you see the most I mean it conv- I mean conventional structures just a typical someone's buying a, a, a stabilized asset that's right it asset. might just be a uh, a term loan funded out the gate someone uh, we, we give 75 percent loan to value for someone to buy a, and a is that a typical tell I say 75 that's I think that's just a pretty good average right 75 25 uh, loan to value on a structure like that uh, you know five seven year term right a five or seven year call but the payments are on a Let's say twenty to twenty-five year amortization, mm-hmm, right? right? So at the end of five or seven years, there's there's a call. Um, in in almost every case, we want to renew the loan, you know, but it, it, it's kind of a, a a point to now relook at it, right? We're going to have to go get it re- reappraised. Uh, maybe we need to just go make sure that it's it's still in the condition that they said it was, yeah. you know,
1: things like that. So that's typically why you see the five or seven year call. And, and what, what what's specific about Five to seven years—is that based on typical lease terms that you guys see in assets, or what? What generates those yeah. specific numbers? Yeah, I mean, sure. Obviously,
0: if you're doing something, um, you know, uh, like a retail building that has five-year leases, you don't want to go 15 years. Exactly. right? So many yep. different things could happen. So yeah, a lot of times you're you're trying to line up to maybe the average turnover of the leases, um, and it's also lender by lender, right? Different lenders have different funding appetites or yeah. different terms you know we're a traditional bank right so a lot of our loans are being funded with deposits right yeah. customer deposits they're not super super long-term funding sources so our, you know you're not gonna see a traditional banks typically going out much yeah. longer than seven to ten years compared to you know agency debt or like a life life insurance companies you know where they're just you know they've got 30 year time horizons on their money uh, now granted they're they're probably also not gonna put that type of 15, 30 year commitment on a high turnover product like a retail. You'll see that on multifamily a lot, right? You'll see that on Big Long single tenant GSA, right? Where you have 15 year year leases, right? Um, So yeah, I think there's a few different factors that kind of go into that.
2: And and what about when borrowers are doing cost segregation studies or they are trying to take advantage of accelerated depreciation for tax purposes. Do you see that? Uh, does that process interface with your loan um, you know, perspective? No, no. That's just kind of something on the, their side of the table. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I say depreciation and all that. Those aren't Those are non-cash expenses, right? So, it's that's more of an I think between them and their accountants as opposed to them and the bankers, right? Right. We're just looking at kind of the NOI, the actual cash flow uh, over the debt service. Sure. Yeah. So we don't we don't get involved in those conversations as much.
2: Another quick question for you, shifting gears a bit. How has technology changed? between the time you've started in the business and now is there anything that you guys are using as far as software system ai underwriting outsourcing has the has that process changed at all for you do you see that changing
0: um no i mean i've 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 at least been in this group for only you know commercial i've been doing the commercial real estate side of things for only a few years you know so i haven't seen a whole lot of changes you know we obviously rely on uh a lot of outside third-party data sources yeah. right for for our underwriting we use you know co you know for market information they just right? increased their prices they heard you say <laughs> again <laughs> you know but i mean we're, we're obviously looking for when you're underwriting something right the the environment the market uh is an important part of that right uh does the does the rents of this particular thing that we're looking at is it way out of line with something that's in a five mile radius, right? So we're we're using these outside data sources to kind of underwrite and make sure that you know lease rates and vacancies and all that are kind of in line and support the loan that we're looking at. Um, as far as underwriting, you know, we do we do all of it kind of internally, right? We don't still really using outsource. human brains. Absolutely, yeah. Like I mentioned, we have a credit analyst here. He's kind of the guy that. Usually as that spreadsheet, we have a kind of an Excel-based underwriting model that's used across you know our, our whole footprint. It's the same kind of model. I mean, we have the same tools that everyone's using, right? That are updated when they need to be updated. Uh, you know, We have stress tests within those when it comes to interest rates, all that kind of stuff is constantly being updated depending on what's kind of going on with the market. Yep. Um, but no, but uh, the approval process, I will say that there has been in my in my 15 years here, a lot of improvements on the technology side, just from internal processes, right. Kind of going to more digital platform to get loans approved where we're updating, we're, we're uploading through, a a, a portal, right. Yeah. Where your approvers are going there and like clicking buttons to, to make approvals as opposed to scanning documents and emailing them I and getting physical signatures and mailing things back like that. So, uh, that's all certainly improved. Um, yeah, I just introduced kind of I just introduced Jordan processes.
1: like last year to email. It's really cool. <laughs> 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 it I don't take type, a typewriter. Yeah, I think with 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 downloads. your business specifically, I can see, you know, tech not moving quite as quickly cuz again, you're still you're still making decisions and operating your business based off of quantifiable data. As it relates to a person or an asset, right? So I mean, we're not
0: credit scoring loans, right? yeah, it's exactly. Not like a car loan. yeah. It's like every one of these deals is so well, different think, that yeah. you can't. Uh, there's not a centralized, yeah, you know, plug in the numbers and hit hit a
1: button, and approved or declined. Yeah, right? exactly. there's so much. There's yeah. no apples there's, to apples. There's more that yeah. goes into. It. Yeah, there's
0: so much more that goes into it. Yeah, yeah, interesting.
1: Um, so, uh, so kind of taking. Uh, a step back and pivoting a little bit, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about, obviously you're a young guy, um, you know, you've done a lot in your career thus far, what, what do you feel like has contributed the most to your success in the banking world, and, and obviously you're a family man, have several kids, you're a busy guy, uh, we always like to ask our guests kind of on a personal level, what do you, what do, you do personally that you feel advances you personally and also um, career-wise?
2: Yeah, what are you doing outside of the office that may be helping to contribute to successes in the office, you know? Yeah. Anything that makes you tick. Yeah. Ah, God,
0: that's a good question. Besides alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think I, I would say kind of within the bank. I mean, obviously, uh, I mentioned I've been, I've been pretty lucky to have some, some good managers, good mentors, people who are invested in, uh, you know, develop, developing me along the way. Right, I've always been a kind of a, a people pleaser, right, mm-hmm. and and, and uh, wanting to follow through when I say I'm going to do something, right. Sure. I, I don't like, uh, it, I would say, ignoring people or like pushing problems aside. Sure, I, just I mean, if I say I'm way. gonna, if I say I'm gonna do something, I'm, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, I try to follow like the sundown rule. If I get an email or I get a call, I want to get back to that person that day. Yeah. Um, you know, so just customer focused, right? Has always kind of been my my mantra. I, I get really uh, antsy if I know if I know something is in my court that other yeah. people are relying on you know my response before they can take any action. I don't like being like a roadblock. Yeah. Um, so you know, it helps me work well. I guess under pressure, it's like when when the when the clock's ticking, I usually yeah. kind of do my best work. So. Um, you know i think that's that's a lot of it for me at least internally within the bank that i think yeah. has driven my success is just 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 trying to provide really good customer service try to be responsive try to be uh follow through on uh what you said you were going to do yeah. or if we uh if we quote if we quote some terms right i don't like I, I don't like changing the deal, right, or like retrading what some people. Oh, that's say. Our, it's our favorite. favorite. Yeah, that's favorite. yeah. <laughs> we, uh, I think that's something <laughs> yeah. that we're really, really good about, and I yeah. think that that uh, our particular organization structure makes it so that we can do that. When I mean, we have two guys above us here that can approve up to thirty-five million dollars, so yeah. if someone brings us a deal, usually within about twenty-four hours, we can we can look at it, have a discussion if we need to. Uh, and and provide some pretty high level terms that if they say we're ready to move forward, we're yeah. we're gonna deliver pretty much on those terms unless yeah. we find something during the due diligence process that really changes things. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think that's kind of it uh, for me within the bank. You know, just being honest, being responsive, and pers- being a good being a good team team member, doing per- what I'm supposed yeah, to
1: do. Yeah. Personally, what do you? Do you do anything to advance your lifestyle i mean do you work out a lot do you read a lot what's what do you feel like has really contributed to you yeah. being a successful person yeah
0: no definitely uh definitely uh you know work out try to take care of myself yeah uh you know spend a lot of time with my family my kids try to how many kiddos do you have, I have i've got two, two two little boys how yeah. old are they three and six fun ages yeah Right in the thick of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so getting get into in the sports. With you, man, and yeah. everything. Um, you, know, my, my wife works. She has a great job as well. So we're, we're constantly uh, taking turns, you know, picking up kids, dropping off kids. Yeah. Um, it's a juggling act. So it is. Lucky that uh, the, the role that we have here, you know, can be pretty flexible as opposed to, like, being in a branch, right? Yeah. Like, I can – if I need to kind of leave to go take care of yeah. something, I can, we can usually. Um, you know, I'm on – have been on a couple uh, boards. I'm on a couple local boards now that are important to me. Junior Achievement in New Mexico is I my board that I'm on now. Yeah, very cool. um, financial literacy. I mean, obviously, teaching young kids entrepreneurship and financial literacy is kind of what the mission of Junior Achievement is, and something yeah. that I think is it's seriously a, lacking. It's such a huge void. Um, so yeah. yeah, I completely so, agree. You know, that. obviously, those types of things make yeah. you make you uh, happy. You know, yeah. you go get in the classroom and and,
1: and teach some kids and teaching the future yeah that's that's giving back that's that's right and that's what do right you uh, what do you feel like gives you a competitive advantage over all the other bankers and the market um, I think it kind
0: of kind of goes back to a handful of those factors I'm uh, I, I think that we're just positioned well with uh, the, the capabilities that our bank has as far as the size of loans the different types of loans that we can do I think we have a pretty good niche. There's not a lot of other banks that can do everything that we can do, right? Yeah. Um, the 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 local pretty flat decision making, you know, that we have. Like I said, two guys at 35 million. There's not a, there's not a ton of yeah. other banks that have that. Where maybe there's committee structures and it takes them a month to kind of turn around. A lot of times, people who are making Decisions on value adds or acquisitions don't have that much time to Absolutely. wait, right? right. Yep. So if we can if we can respond quickly, typically we get a we get the first look at it. right? And what is your typical deal turnaround? Um, I would say six to eight weeks is okay. is kind of average, right? I mean, uh, there's appraisals and things like that that are third party control. that are yep. out of our control. Typically, we order that once we know that we've got kind of some terms in place and. Um, and then we're working in the in the background to get everything else on our end done, get the approval, get loan documents prepared, things like that. So when that appraisal comes in, we're pretty pretty close to ready to close. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it's yeah awesome so you sent me an email. It's like a month ago, and I said, "Feel free to get this verified by your underwriter." And you said, "While well, you're talking to your underwriter." So. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, right. yeah, there's a benefit to that. Like you said, it's just a, it's a huge uh, time savings. Yeah, no, but I think it's cool. just that responsiveness. I mean, people, yeah. uh, especially in the
0: real estate world, like pretty quick oh, yeah. people who can move pretty quick. People who can give a quick answer, even if it's a quick no. A lot yeah. of times, a, yeah. A, a no the next day or the same day is better than no, a, uh, a six-week six yes, uh, maybe right? So I feel like that's a big reason uh, for our success here is that we, uh, uh, we, we we move quick and we deliver on what we say we're gonna yeah. be able to do. Well, well so awesome, man.
2: We appreciate your time and, and we will have your contact information in the show notes, but while we have you here, what's the best way for someone to reach out and get into contact with you or learn more about you?
0: Uh, email. I guess. Yeah. All right. Which is uh, J Harrington, H E R R I N G T O N at b o
1: k f dot com.
2: All right. Perfect.
1: Easy enough. Awesome. And with that, uh, again, thank you for your time. Absolutely appreciate it, guys. And uh, we will uh, look forward to seeing you all on the next episode. Hey listeners, thanks again for joining Gannon and I today as we uh, discussed commercial finance with Jordan Harrington. Uh, hope you all learned a ton out of the show. Uh, commercial finance could be a very intimidating subject. And we hope that we helped you all on your journey, whether you're out there uh, acquiring a piece of real estate or underwriting an asset. In the event you want to get in contact with Jordan, we will have his contact information in the show notes as always. And uh, again, if you enjoyed this show, by all means, please share it with a friend or a family member. Uh, You can get our uh, URL at thecreproject.com. Other than that, go out and have a great day, and we will see you all next show.